up, everybody? Welcome to episode 65 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. You can find all my work at 2QBs.com. And on the line with me for his second appearance on the podcast, Scott Pianowski of Yahoo Sports. Scott, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Greg. Getting excited for the fantasy playoffs. And um, I, I, every, I feel like everybody says this, but man, the NFL season just flies by. I mean, I feel, I feel like just a couple of weeks ago, we were trying to get a sense of who's good, who's bad, and now here we are, you know, on the eve of the playoffs. Yeah, do you have any overarching kind of themes that you like to hammer for the playoffs? Because that's a lot of what people are going to be talking about this week is what sort of players you hold on to, what sort of players you are willing to drop, maybe guys who you wouldn't necessarily think to drop at first glance. Um, like I heard J.J. Zacharyson talking about dropping T.Y. Hilton uh, last week, and he was trying to back that up on his podcast this week. Uh, what I was listening to on my commute earlier today, and stuff like that, um, or, or overarching themes for uh, you know getting ready for the playoffs. How, how your mindset needs to change. Yeah, it's interesting that JJ said that. I, I didn't actually realize that he had uh, written or spoke of that, but I have a lot of respect both for JJ and for that line of thinking. I my my general strategy is that I, I don't like to get tied into name brands. I don't like to get tied into, well, I, I drafted this guy in the first round or I paid $30 uh, in the auction or I spent all my fab money on him two weeks ago. Fantasy football in the NFL in general is a very fluid experience. And I always feel like every season is weird in its own way. At some point, somebody says every year that it's the weirdest year. And then this year has been weird too. But I feel like seasons are weird in their own ways. I mean, the, to me – one of the weirdest things about this season has been so many quarterback injuries or just quarterbacks falling on their face. And it used to be like we'd have a handful of offenses we try to avoid. Now every week when I do rankings, I can't believe how many quarterbacks I don't trust who are somewhere in the middle of my rankings or how quickly receiver dries up. This has been a season where, uh, other than Antonio Brown, most of the big-name receivers you may have drafted in the early rounds have at least mildly disappointed you, and some of them have been horrendous disappointments like Amari Cooper. Uh, but to get back to the the point that J.J. was making, I, I don't have my depth chart ready to go, and I just apply it week in, week out. I try to play uh, based on matchup, based on form, based on health. I'm somewhere really low on that list. I will incorporate weather. I'm not somebody who generally freaks out about weather, but let's, but there are sometimes, you know, the if the wind is high enough or if the weather is bad enough, it, it may get me off a kicker. It may get me off a player. Uh, I think you have to look at this as you're making the dessert from scratch or you're making the dinner from scratch every week. And, uh, and also, when we get to the playoffs, the scope of your bench becomes a lot different. For example, I would never own multiple defenses in September. I, I guess I, you'd never want to say never. It's like the first fantasy rules, you never say never. But uh, I'm generally a one defense guy per week, and a lot of times I stream that position at this time of year where we have a better sense of what good matchups and bad matchups are, I'm, I'm not afraid to carry two or three defenses or two or three tight ends, you know, positions you would never have depth at. And if I say, if I had uh, say a Russell Wilson, I, you know, I would might just decide, you know, I don't want a backup quarterback. I'm just going to live or die with Wilson because he's so good. And if he's hurt, I'm screwed anyway. Um, the scope, I think the scope of our rosters changes a lot at this time of year. And, um, and also, I, I think I do a lot more looking ahead at the schedule. I, I think that fantasy football is best played with a microscope, not a telescope. And I still adhere to that idea that I'm, the most important game is the game in front of me. But that said, this is one time of year where I will I, – I actually have a good sense of like what some of the Week 16 matchups are. 
if we were having this podcast in week eight and you had said, hey, what about week 10? If you're looking forward to that, I'd be like, I don't even know who's playing in week 10. I don't care. I mean, I know the teams that are on by and that's about it. But this is one time a year where I think you actually need to have an eyeball uh, a week or two ahead of time as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a week to week game at its core. But we're at the point now, like you said, where you can look ahead to next week with a little bit more confidence because we know who the best players on our rosters are. And we know generally where we're, where our strengths are. Um, and the quarterback position, you, you brought up just how many injuries we've seen. I think Sal updated our QB tracker at two QBs. We're up to 50 different quarterbacks who have started a game mm. this season, which is incredible. But, you know, it was like that last year, too. I think we got up to 54 by the end of the year. We're probably going to break that in 2017. But it's been a very fluid position. And we're at the point now where if you're in a one-quarterback league, I think you can look at, you know, a lot of different guys as potentially startable week to week, uh, especially based upon matchup. And in 2QB, you can apply that as well, but you don't necessarily have the same amount of choice. You're kind of choosing between the guys who are already on your roster, and maybe there's there's a random guy here or there on waivers. Although I will admit that you tend to see more quarterbacks on waivers in two-quarterback formats now because, or when I say now, I mean this time of year, because other teams are more willing to take that approach you talked about with Russell Wilson, right? Where you say, these are my guys, I'm going to live and die with them. I don't need to hold on to, you know, Blaine Gabbert as a backup. I don't need that depth anymore. So you might find guys on the waiver wire these days. But kind of looking forward to this week specifically, or actually, let's talk about last week first. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, I want you to kind of pick a narrative here from his game against Chicago did Jimmy Garoppolo lead the 49ers to a win in his first start, or did John Fox lead the Bears to a loss in Garoppolo's first start? Uh, well, I, mean, I would agree to both statements. Um, okay. <laughs> man, it, it's it's incredible just some of the things John Fox does on a week-in, week-in basis, week-in, week-out basis, you know, cha- challenging a, a player around the goal line that gets turned into a loss of possession for his team a, a couple of weeks ago. I, I had never seen that. I know everybody's sick of the fumbles around the pylon, but – I thought Garoppolo was was really good. He hasn't been with the Niners that long, hasn't been with Kyle Shanahan that long. He's not playing with a great set of skill players. Uh, to go eight for eight on targets for Marquise Goodwin, I mean, I like Goodwin for what he is, but, I mean, this is a guy who has had an up-and-down season, albeit trending upward in recent weeks. Uh, I know you want touchdowns. I know you're not going to win football games generally by kicking five field goals, but I thought for a first start, surrounded by a very ordinary cast and against the Bears defense that's been pretty good especially at home I was very impressed with Garoppolo and it really sets him up nicely getting that that banged up Houston defense in week 14. Yeah and Chicago specifically is pretty good against receivers uh, and it's not like the Niners have a whole lot of talent in the receiving game at the running back or tight end position so if the Bears were able to take out you know Marquise Goodwin um, and, and the rest of those Niners receivers, Aldrick Robinson, Trent Taylor. And, and those guys were effective, actually. Taylor, I think, caught all of his passes, uh, was a solid PPR play, and Marquise Goodwin almost hit 100 yards. I think he had 99. So uh, in a better matchup this coming week in Houston, I, I think that he's got a, a really nice outlook, and, and he's a guy who you probably have to bump up your rankings into that kind of startable zone despite the fact that, you know, there are so many other options at the position. But we'll talk more about streamers uh, or, you know, low-end quarterback plays later on. Let's talk about Matthew Stafford and his bruised hand. He'll probably play through it, judging by, you know, the way we've seen him play through injuries in the past. But 
for some reason, if he doesn't, do you have any interest in Jake Rudock or, or Ruddock? I, I wish I knew how to pronounce his name. I mean, how deep of a Superflex league would you even have to be in before you would consider picking up somebody like that this late in the season? Well, I, I'm embarrassed. I, I live in Michigan, and I, I'm not a diehard Wolverine fan, but I, I, mean, I generally track what they're doing, and I, I can't remember definitively how you say Rudock's name. or I think it's Rudock, but I'm not 100% sure. First of all, I think Stafford's going to play. Stafford's just been the type of guy that, you know, um, he's got a little bit of Bobby Lane in him. I mean, if it's if it's not uh, – if you can sew it back together or scotch tape it back together, he'll do it. But <laughs> I think if Jim Bob Cooter, if he had to game plan for Rudock, I think it would be a very vanilla, a very run-heavy it's, – it's a game they, they may be able to, to win – Without letting their hang their uh, their hair kind of you know hang out on against Tampa Bay, so I, w- I would think the volume would would scare me off if they had to play their backup. But I really think Stafford is going to play, and I, I think he'll play well against Tampa Bay, a, a Tampa Bay secondary and defense that really hasn't done anything right all season. Okay, so even if he is a little nicked up, you're not too concerned about his other the other players in that offense, Golden Tate, Marvin Jones. You, you're still confidently playing those receivers if you have them. Oh, I think you have to. Um, you know, Marvin Jones, maybe the most impressive thing he's done all season, other than just be a good player, is what we saw him do on Thanksgiving, right? Where he, you matched up against Xavier Rhodes, and Stafford didn't care. He, not only did he throw the ball to Marvin Jones, but he threw the ball to Marvin Jones when he was ostensibly covered and said, look, make a play, make a contested catch. I trust you that you can do that. And to me, that was one of the more impressive. I mean, people aren't going to talk about the end of the season. He didn't finish with ridiculous numbers. It wasn't like a, a Julio Jones game from a couple of weeks ago or that one Amari Cooper game that I guess we're going to get. We're going to have to live on that for the rest of the year. But <laughs> um, anyway, I, I've been really impressed with, with Jones. And, you know, I think we know who Tate is, just that consistent base player. He's, he's not necessarily a big touchdown guy, but he's uh, you can always back on him for a decent role in that offense. And, I actually think this offense is going to be better if Amir Abdul doesn't play again. Um, Agreed. Just the wasting wasting that thirteen for forty. I get that you can't throw the ball every every down. You're going to get your quarterback killed. You want to at least give the defense the idea that you might do something else. But I thought the offense had a much better tempo and pace to it with Abdul on the sidelines last week. And I think we saw that last year as well. Like they they didn't really need Abdullah to be a functioning offense. Riddick, you know, fills that have to run it every once in a while role well enough. But I'm, I'm with you. I don't think Abdullah really adds a whole lot to their offense, especially considering you know the way it's designed, the way that Jim Bob Cooter calls his plays, and, and the strengths of those receivers and Stafford himself. I, I got to bring up a few more bad quarterbacks here because that's what we do <laughs> in two QB leagues. I want to talk about Geno Smith. Uh, he posted a little over nine fantasy points in his first start as a Giant, but Ben McAdoo was fired, and that set up Eli Manning for a return to the starting role in Week 14. The Giants are still out of playoff contention, kind of no matter what. So is there any fantasy value remaining for Smith or for Davis Webb as maybe just desperation, desperation stashes, guys who might see the field in Week 16 or Week 17, you know, if Eli gets hurt and they don't want to ding him up? Because at this point, they don't have that, you know, game-started streak to even chase anymore. Like, I know that the fans want to see Eli under center, and maybe that's the kind of the, the final word in this argument, but... Is there any value left to those backups in New York? I mean, there could be because I, I, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Ingram, and I don't know anybody who doesn't like Shepard. And, and man, I such a shame that Shepard came down with that migraine problem mm-hmm. right when it looked like he was about to pop. He had that huge game against San Francisco. 
and Ingram is is on pace to have one of the best, maybe the best rookie season. I mean, I'm, I've always been. I, I know this is overly simplistic, but my rule has always been with rookie tight ends: the position's too hard. Uh, players generally get spoon fed as rookies, so I'll just ignore them. And so I ignored Howard. I I ignored Joku. I I ignored Ingram at the at the beginning of the season during draft season. I don't have any. I don't think I have them on any of my MFL rosters, even in leagues where you could take them. You know, at a very low buy-in or you know not have to play the guessing game of when they're going to pop and that class has actually turned out to be really good i think ingram's a stud in part because they use him so much as a receiver already i think the browns are kind of screwing up not playing joku more i mean what 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 are they doing they're playing for the future anyway let this guy get reps he pops when he's on the field and we've seen a a couple of games from howard here or there it's it's really hard to time the market with him but um this rookie class has done a lot more than i expected in the case of ingram tie him to a hopefully a healthy Shepard. At least he was on the field last week. He didn't do a lot. I mean, maybe they could drag a Smith or maybe they could drag a Webb or even, you know, if you have to play Eli, which is a question we have to ask ourselves in two quarterback leagues too. Um, I, I was very impressed with what Ingram's done this year. And, you know, Dallas, not a great, not a great, uh, a daunting matchup this week. I, I think we Eli's back and play in two quarterback. And I, I could see if they decide, I don't know who's making the decisions with the Giants. I mean, when we see, odd quarterback changes you know did mccormick make the the change in buffalo or was it somebody else i mean did uh ben mcadoo act alone or was he was he um i don't know was he mad at somebody was he trying to make a point was he daring them to fire him i mean uh it's hard to say sometimes but uh, the bottom line is even though i don't have anything great to say about any of the quarterbacks in New York. I do like two of their receivers. I do know that they can't run the ball consistently. I know Darkwood shows flashes here and there. So, I mean, I'm willing to be open-minded. I'm, you know, I'm somebody, I, I remember a few years ago, I won a playoff game once and my opponent was a heavy favorite and I had to play Matt Castle in the two quarterback league. And, and I only mentioned that just because of how absurd it is that anybody could ever win anything with Matt Castle. You know, I was, I did it out of desperation. I didn't have better options. It wasn't like I expected Castle to have a big game. He actually ran in a touchdown, which was a, a key element to that upset. But um, this is what these are the things that you end up doing in two quarterback leagues. You know, I, you mm-hmm. may end up being more aggressive with Savage than you want to be. You may you know, Blaine Gabbard has looked competent at times. Uh, Jay Cutler has an interesting matchup this week. You know, I, I, I talked myself into Trevor Simeon last week, which was turns out to be a horrible call. But it made sense to me. I knew Miami, you know, really can't stop anything. And I thought maybe Simeon and, and Sanders could get something going. I, he did look decent at the end of the Oakland game. So, you know, and, and you talked about how the, the number of starts isn't really that much different year over year at the quarterback position. But, yeah, I look at just some of the guys who have been done in by their supporting cat. I mean, yeah, I thought Dak Prescott was going to be fine when Zeke went down, and it's been anything but that. Yeah, me too. And it, it's part, you know, Des Bryant has really had trouble separating and, you know, the offensive line, you know, especially the left tackle was out for a while. Um, you know, Eli, who I wasn't really big on the moment Beck, Beckham gets hurt, that totally changes the complexion of that team. I mean, just seen a lot of teams that have been hurt by offensive line injury. You know, Baltimore hasn't been able to block all year. Uh, there's been some teams who have decided just to not have receivers. I mean, I don't know why the, the Bears think they can trot out the guy. At least they went on Gut Inman, which, you know, he's like Randy Moss on that team. But, you know, I mean, Chicago has, you know, really low echelon uh, receivers. You know, the Bills, I mean, I guess they went out and got Benjamin. It turns out that's not, that's not going to work out. But uh, you know, even in some of the cases where the quarterback has stayed healthy, it's been, you know, look at everything that's gone wrong for Derek Carr this year. I mean, he has played poorly as well, but the line has really come down. Cooper's really struggled. 
it's even when the quarterback himself maybe isn't the person to blame or isn't the primary person to blame. It's funny how so many of these guys have been taken down by peripheral or, or really direct hits to other guys in the offense. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the Bills and what's going on there, and that's the last quarterback situation I want to get to um, for now. And, and Tyrod Taylor had a patellar tendon contusion. Or that's what's being reported. He's day-to-day, whatever the hell that means, according to Sean McDermott. And in relief in Week 13, Nathan Peterman looked a lot better in that game against the Patriots than he did two weeks ago in his start against the Chargers. But I still think he's really tough to trust moving forward. I think even with a nice matchup, against the Colts coming up next, most owners are probably going to have more viable options uh, considering that there are no teams on by at this point. The point you made about Matt Castle, you know, in, in a previous year was a good one. I mean, we've seen Tyler Thigpen win fantasy championships down the stretch. We've seen, we saw Kirk oh, Cousins. Oh man, that was fun running the pistol. That was such a fun, that was such a fun run. I remember the Volek, Billy Volek to Bennett, if you want to go back a little bit further. Yeah, there you go. These guys come out of the woodwork every year, and, I mean, maybe Peterman's that guy. You look at the matchups week to week, and you can kind of talk yourself into these guys if you don't have any better options, right? And, and that's what it all comes down to. We have to speak in a lot of hypotheticals here because we don't know what the listeners' rosters are like. I mean, I can hardly remember what all my rosters look like, uh, you know, off the top of my head. But do you agree that we can kind of probably ignore Peterman unless we're truly desperate? Yes. I, he, he played that poorly against the Chargers in his one start, and maybe that was just set up to be to fail. I mean, it, it's funny how many times it seems like the Chargers do this where they, you know, September, they just totally, you know, um, wet the bed, and then they're, they're playing great football at the end of the season. It would be a shame if the Chargers don't make the playoffs because I really feel like they, they're one of the best teams in football right now. But Especially in the AFC. Yeah, especially in the AFC, and, and I certainly feel like they're the cost of their division by far. But you know, maybe they dug too much of a hole. They're going to have to win that Kansas City game on the road, and, and even with the Chiefs sputtering, that's not an easy place to win. And uh, so it'll be interesting. The Chiefs also have a bunch of home games, but you know, you know, the thing with Peterman too is, you know, who who's he going to throw to? Who's going to drag him? Right? I mean, mm-hmm. I talked about how maybe somebody in the Giants, even if I don't like the quarterbacks, you know, maybe Ingram makes a play, or or maybe Shepard makes a play. What is there in this Buffalo passing game? I mean, they didn't get anything out of Matthews. He's out for the year now. It sounds like they might not get anything out of Benjamin. I mean, I've always thought Charles Clay is just a guy. I know he had a couple of good games with Taylor earlier in the season. Uh, you know, obviously, Shady McCoy is a great running back. He'll catch the ball sometimes. But, uh, you know, they've had Thompson had it you know, popped here. Zay Jones makes a play uh, every once in a while, but his efficiency is just horrible. If you're starting Zay Jones, you're praying that they give him 10 or 12 targets and, and maybe he catches four or five of them. I mean, you're never going to get efficiency as a check mark for him. So I, you know, I, I think it's, I don't want to fall into the cheap uh, cop out of just writing off teams. And then, you know, there's like 18 teams I write off. I mean, you know, you can say something negative about, you know, the Packers offense with Hundley. You can say something negative about Bortles and the Jaguars, you know, obviously Tom Savage was a huge drop down from Watson. You know, we we know that uh, Jacoby Brissett has struggled with his pocket awareness, and he just seems like he's scheduling these sacks ahead of time. <laughs> uh, Jay Cutler can have a three or four interception game at any time. Uh, you know, the the I wish the Baltimore Ravens would stop being televised. So I mean, it, it's I, I if you get too I think if you get too frisky with the red pen, you wind up with nobody left. You wind up with like you know, the the obvious players, and it's it's funny. Even guys we thought we could trust, like Matt Ryan, who doesn't have a three touchdown uh, game all season, and he had zero touchdowns last last week. You know, Josh McCown's been really solid all year, but his schedule is 
is really murderous. So I don't really know what to do with this Denver game. I mean, my mind is still telling me it's still the Broncos defense. And then I see they have a lot of the most touchdown passes. And I see, you know, there's been other problems, other breakdowns. The rushing defense hasn't been that great either. So I, I want to be open-minded about guys, but even with an open-minded attitude, it's going to be a no on Peterson, uh, Peterson, uh, Peterman. Right. It's all about the track record. Like at, at least this point, you can look at that matchup with McCown and Denver and say, oh, this is a tough matchup, but I've seen McCown be pretty good this year, despite, you know, a pretty rough schedule. Whereas with Peterman, there just isn't really a whole lot to hang your hat on. We got, you know, part of a game against the New England defense, which hasn't been very good all season. And I think they're getting better, but that's, that's a different story. Um, I want to move off of quarterbacks for a minute and talk about some other positions just to mix it up here. The Bengals running backs. Joe Mixon suffered a concussion week 13. Giovanni Bernard is you know, going to be one of the hottest waiver wire ads wherever he's still available. I mean, I, I have a feeling he got dropped in a lot of leagues. What do you? How high does this bump up his value to you rest of season? Because you know Mixon might miss one game, but he could be back the week after that. Would you rather own Bernard or someone like Mike Davis in Seattle? You know, I, I have to go with Bernard because at least it's easier for me to conjure up a heavy workload, and I've seen him be successful before. And and keep in mind, I haven't updated the numbers. I, I ran these stats before the Monday night game. But Andy Dalton, since the coordinator change, has a rating over 100. His YPA was just under 8. I think he has something like 19 touchdowns and four interceptions. It's, it's, if I have that off, it's off by a touchdown. But he's only thrown four picks since the coordinator change. And that was in week three when, when they went to, to Bill Lazor. So I, I can sell myself a story of the Bengals. You know, you know, Seattle, look, they're, they're obviously uh, an offense that puts points up, and mostly because of Russell Wilson. Their offensive line has been poor all season. They had flashes of Chris Carson before he got hurt. He was effective. I don't know why they ever give the ball to Eddie Lacy. I don't, I don't think Thomas Rawls really has a clue what he's doing. It's not that just that Rawls hasn't been effective. I mean, he does so many fundamental things wrong that it, I mean, he looks like a guy who's never been coached. So it's, it's a breath of fresh air that you know every once in a while McKissick makes a play or Mike Davis has made a play. But this is still a team that breads its butter on Wilson and breads its butter on trying to mask a poor offensive line. And we know that's easier to do in the passing game. I can, even though Bernard isn't, you know, he's, he's a smaller back. He's just technically he's a satellite back. You don't think of him as an 18 to 20 touch guy, but Cincinnati may be forced to, to play him in that type of rotation. I'd have, I can tell myself the easier story for Bernard the rest of the way. What if we look across the division to the Browns with Josh Gordon returning from suspension? Mm-hmm. He's, you know, already getting that number one receiver workload, but I there's something in the back of my mind with those sorts of games where I always think maybe they're feeding him just because it's his first game back. Now, when you think of this one game sample that we've seen, how much of that do you buy and how much of Gordon's performance, how does that affect your rest of season outlook for Kaiser and for Corey Coleman across from him um, at the other wide receiver spot there in Cleveland? Well, it's interesting. The last time Gordon came back, remember he was on the heels of that, monster season and then he plays against Atlanta and has a great game and and really flashed and and put up good numbers and and looked excellent doing it and uh, I was actually I just anytime anybody takes a long layoff from football whether it's injury related suspension related uh, retirement related I mean I was I was out on Lynch um, before this season I don't really know how to grade that I don't feel like Lynch has been great I don't, I don't feel I don't regret not having him but I mean every once in a while he's a decent game I think he's done more than I expected but I, I don't feel the pinch of, of not having him. Um, Greg Olson's one of my favorite players, but when he missed, you know, 10 weeks, there's no way I was touching him the first week back. And then, you know, unfortunately he got hurt again. 
although he easily could have had a touchdown. Uh, Newton missed him on a throw. He probably should have hit him on. Uh, it's just I'm not somebody who you know Gordon I ranked very cautiously last week. I thought he'd see a lot of Hayward, which he did. And, you know, hey, he beat Hayward on a couple of plays. And then, you know, maybe, maybe the most telling thing of all is, is Hayward came out and said, uh, this is the toughest guy I've had to cover all year. And, and Hayward's faced almost every great receiver in the league. I mean, he just, you, know, you run off the list of the guys that he's faced. So uh, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that they're going to keep feeding Gordon the ball. The problem is that no matter how many targets you give him, there's still Deshaun Kaiser targets and, um, I wish I knew who came up with the, the nickname Kaiser So-So because, man, that's such a perfect <laughs> nickname. I, it's not me. Uh, I, I forget where I picked up on that. It, it may have been a different podcast. But, what a, what a, and again, I'd, I'd credit the person if I could think of who it was. But it um, doesn't seem like he's getting any better. Coleman's still a factor in this offense. I think Joku's role is going to continue to expand. We know they, they will throw some passes to their backs as well. I like Gordon. Uh, I'm, I'm not shoving in all my chips on Gordon. I'm not going to use him. He's only $21 in the Yahoo DFS game. I still don't think I'm going to use him this week. I know Green Bay's secondary has been awful, and I know that you can probably bank on 9 to 11 targets this week, and that, that seems like a reasonable projection. And, and in, in this day and age of the of the widening usage tree where teams seem to get more players involved, mm-hmm. thinking somebody – when I say 9 to 11 targets, that's not like it used to be where it's like, okay, I could – think of 15 guys who i'd say that about these days every week it's like i feel that way about two players or three players so it's a big thing for me to make that leap but the problem is they're still going to be kaiser targets so uh, to me I'm, I'm gonna have gordon in my top 20 maybe i don't know 15 18 19 something like that i mean i've made preliminary ranks but i'm, I'm not married to anything on a tuesday i'm never going to be I think other people – now, he's obviously gone in any competitive league, and, and so it's not like you can pick him up. Most leagues you can't trade anymore. Uh, I guess So I guess the, where the rubber meets the road is, do I think he's an automatic starter? Probably, unless you're loaded at receiver. Do I like him for DFS? Nah. I know 21's not that expensive in Yahoo. I don't know what he is at other formats, but I'm still going to let – I'm still going to kind of dare people to beat me with Josh Gordon because I'm afraid the pieces around him in this offense are, are going to let him down eventually. So let me get this straight. You like the Kaiser so-so nickname, but correct me if I'm wrong. You've you've never seen the usual suspects, right? I think I've tried to convince you to watch it on Twitter before. <laughs> that is correct. Um, you know, there, there's a great scene in Cheers once where um, somebody spoiled a. There's a hot new book that everybody was reading, and somebody spoiled the ending to Fraser Crane. So <laughs> so he just decided to ruin the ending of everything he could think of. He's like, you know, Rosebud was a sled, and on the Orient <laughs> Express, everybody did it. And he starts rattling through all these famous, you know, hooks that people didn't see coming. He may have mentioned the Star Wars hook or whatever. I forget. But, um, yeah, it's um, the usual suspects. I originally didn't see it for the stupidest reason. I was mad they lifted the quote. <laughs> I thought, you know, this is this is a quote you should leave. It's from the one of the all-time classic, um, you know, American movies. And, and then by the time I, I got around to, to thinking about seeing it, I already knew what the ending was. And it's like, well, okay, well, I'll get around to it when I get around to it. And I uh, still haven't gotten around to it. In fact, I'm, I'm somebody who just saw, what did I just see? Bruce Willis. I just saw Die Hard, Die Hard last week. So I'm like the last guy who uh, who gets all the yippee Kayo, uh <laughs> you know, references. But I don't know. I mean, I mean, how how can I see these movies when I have to watch Rushmore for the 18th time, or Sideways for the 30th time, or The Big Chill for the 15th time? So, these are the tough choices we have to make. Yeah, I mean, the next time you feel like you're forced to watch, 
you know a Joe Flacco game. You could you could watch the Usual Suspects. That's all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, so, sadly, I, I really don't want. I, I'm not going to go any deeper into this, but now there's a re- now there's another reason why I don't want to watch the movie, and I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, uh, so let's let's get back to football here. Uh, I want to talk about Rob Gronkowski's suspension here for his late hit on Tre'Davious White. Are you interested in any of New England's other tight ends in his yeah. absence? Did, Absolutely not. Did, did you say no before I even finished asking the question? Um, so, so how about the other position players for the Pats? Does anyone else there, you know, gain or lose significant value for one week to you, or is this kind of business as usual for New England? Well, it's funny you say that because a point that I've been really trying to hammer the last few weeks, I think everybody's got it now, but this is long-standing fear of Bill Belichick usage trees, and you know, I get it. I mean, Stephen Ridley may have been prematurely f- you know, bent for a fumble once, or there may have been years where we know that the Patriots game plan specifically for opponent, though, so sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to, to get a handle on what they're going to do. But their backfield, ever since they decided that Mike Gillisley wasn't good enough to dress week in, week out, They've really cut down on their James White usage. Uh, Deion Lewis is having a terrific season. Unfortunately, it's been mostly running the ball. He, he was a really handy receiver in previous seasons, mm-hmm. and they've kind of cut that out. But still, he's putting up numbers that, I mean, you, you know, if as long as he's not your best running back, I mean, I think most people would still take them. And Rex Burkett has settled into the third down back, and he settled into the goal line role. And although Lewis can still score touchdowns, I think Lewis has four touchdowns in his last seven games, which is perfectly reasonable to me. I mean, the bottom line is this is an offense that gets into scoring position with regularity, and they have two primary backs they use. That's not, that's not at all a problem to me. I, I think there is some monster under the bed thinking with Belichick that, and, first, and by the way, Belichick oversees the entire team, of course, and the personnel, but I mean, it's still the Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels offense more than it is the Belichick offense. I mean, Belichick has evolved in big picture decisions, but it's not like he's calling all the plays. I mean, you know, and, and <laughs> as we've seen, you know, if McDaniels and Brady don't agree they're you know, sometimes they get in some interesting exchanges. Um, one of them in, in public in that Buffalo game, but you know, that Gronkowski's out of the mix. It just means a couple extra targets for, you know, probably for Amendola, probably a couple extra targets for Cooks, you know, albeit Cooks is, you know, his role is nothing like Gronkowski's, and really there's nobody like Gronkowski. I mean, maybe they they throw an extra tight end flip or two or around the goal line, but you know, this, Gronkowski is such a unique player. It's just, it's not like they have, it, it's not like, say, when you, you lose, sometimes play, teams lose a certain player and they have a player who replicates those skills, who's a similar player in body type or a similar player in skill set. And there's just nobody like that that the Patriots have for Gronkowski. But I do think that this backfield has been, and, and I think most people are coming around now and they see Lewis and Burkhead for what they are. But I think that the takeaway here is you know, don't, don't fear what a team did three or four years ago, or don't get locked into, okay, this coach does this, this coordinator does this. I mean, I think what good teams do and, and what smart teams do, and, and the Patriots are as smart as anybody, is they play their personnel to the current situation. They don't get married to, okay, this is how we played five years ago. Or this is the DNA I have as a coach. They say, what personnel do we have, and how does it best approach trying to beat the opponents on our schedule? New England does that. They've decided to play with two primary backs, and I think uh, Lewis and Burkhead are going to be, I mean, maybe not league-winning players, but they're going to be on a lot of league-winning teams. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think that, a lot of those fears that we have about usage in New England 
have kind of been dispelled just automatically by injuries to other guys on the team. Like no Julian Edelman, Chris Hogan's been out for quite some time. I doubt we even see him before, you know, things start to matter again in the playoffs because why bring him back if, you know, you're winning without him. So you're right. In the meantime, it's, yeah, all these, all the guys that they are using have been pretty clear week to week. It's, it's those two running backs. It's Amendola and Gronk and Cooks. And with Gronk out, I think, probably the running backs go up the most in value just because Gronk isn't there to be used on the goal line like he always is. So maybe you see more running plays or little, uh, you know, creative passing plays to Lewis and Burkhead out of the backfield. I think that Amendola probably gets a little bit more touchdown upside as well, just for that same reason. But yeah, I, I think that this is just a high powered offense that you want to be, you know, you want basically whatever pieces you can get at this point. And, all those guys are going to be owned anyway, but uh, I, I don't think you need to worry about any of them losing value for, you know, defenses scheming against them specifically. And if anything, I think the value of them might go up a little bit uh, just because they're going to get more touches. Like you said, I want to move on to our awards for week 13. This is where we kind of look back and we talk about a boom of the week and a bust of the week. And we'll start with the boom. This is a, a quarterback who outperformed our expectations the most in week 13. Who is it for you, Scott? Well, I got to give it up for Alex Smith. I mean, somebody who people were talking about, maybe he should be benched. What's wrong with the Chiefs offense? And they didn't win the game against the Jets, but, you know, they put up 31 points. Uh, Smith scores, you know, approaching 40 points in some formats. And, you know, they've had so much trouble trying to solve the cover two with the Chiefs. And one of the best things to do against that defense is get your tight end involved, especially if you have somebody as good as Travis Kelsey. And, you know, Kelsey gets two quick touchdowns. Hill had a big game. They still have an unlocked hunt. It seems like you know for months now. So you know, Alex Smith is, is back to be, and, and he's you know look, he's kind of the the poster child for why you play two quarterback, right? You know, mm-hmm. Alex Smith not good enough maybe to be your quarterback one, but certainly good enough to have a, a fantasy relevance tied to him. And for you know he was an MVP candidate. If we go back four or five weeks ago, it's just nice to see. I, I've always had a kind of a soft spot in my heart for Alex Smith because I mean he was the number one pick in the draft, and I will always say that he was a hit. I mean, is he going to win a, a world championship? Probably not. You know, is he going to be a Hall of Famer? No. But, I mean, he's been a franchise-solidifying quarterback for a decade you know, for a couple of different teams. And uh, you know, I, I, even though I didn't benefit from any of this, I don't have a lot of Alex Smith this year. I, I wish I'd played him in, in DFS last week, and I didn't. But I was I was happy to see. I, I, t- I took no joy in watching Andy Reid's offense, you know, you know, just kick it around for a couple of weeks. And I know, you know, Reid did give up the play calling, but obviously Andy Reid's fingerprints are always all over this offense. I, I felt just it was just good to have some things make sense in week 13. And to me, Alex Smith playing good football again makes sense. Yep. Uh, my pick is another one of those poster childs for the 2QB format. It's the much maligned Joe Flacco. I, I don't like Flacco at all, but... I'm blown away anytime he can score more than 15 fantasy points in a game these days. And this was easily his best game of the year. He had a little over 18 and a half fantasy points. His two previous high finishes were week two against Cleveland when he had about 14 and a half points, QB 16, and week nine uh, at Tennessee when he was QB 18 with about 15 points. So uh, this was kind of an explosion for him against Detroit. But he's not a guy I'm excited about by any means. I just wanted to highlight him here as having a good week relative to what what he's done otherwise. Because you look at what he does on a per game basis, he he's been so bad this year. And I don't know if it how much of that has to do with you know the injury that he was recovering from. How much of it just has to do with the fact that this Baltimore team plays ultra conservative for the most part. But 
before week 13, you look at that high score, he had a 15.14 points at Tennessee, and 23 different quarterbacks have points per game marks that are higher than that. So that goes to show you everything you need to know about Joe Flacco, and I'm not really interested in him moving forward. I just kind of wanted to highlight that as you know a good performance for him. And to be fair to Flacco, I mean, a lot of things have gone wrong with that Baltimore offense. They've had offensive line problems from the beginning of the year, and uh, we saw Wood, Woodhead get hurt in week one. It, it feels like they've had like nine tight ends get hurt. So uh, it's not like he's surrounded. I mean, Flacco's part of the problem, obviously, with that offense this year. But, I mean, a lot of things, a lot of other dominoes have fallen around him as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm more interested in what this kind of says about that Detroit matchup, because clearly Flacco is only really worth considering in the best possible matchups. We, you know, Cleveland and Tennessee fit the bill. That's where he had, he found success previously, but the perception has been a lot different for the Detroit Lions this season. If you kind of throw away the early part of the season where they, you know, scored a bunch of touchdowns on defense and, and looked really good against quarterbacks, they've now allowed six straight finishes of QB 17 or better three of which were QB7 or better, and all of those were to non-elite passers. We're talking about Ben mm-hmm. Roethlisberger on the road, Brett Hundley, Deshaun Kaiser, Mitchell Trubisky, Case Keenum. And Keenum's been pretty good, but um, I still don't think he's an elite quarterback. And then sure. now Flacco. I, I think it's pretty safe to say that the Lions are once again a good matchup for quarterbacks, and they get Jameis Winston, Mitchell Trubisky, and Andy Dalton down the stretch. So I think those are all guys who, if they're on your roster and maybe you don't have a whole lot of other options – I don't think that listeners should be necessarily scared away of this Detroit matchup based upon how they looked early in the season. That's a great point. And I, I don't have a perfect answer for this, but um, when it comes to trying to evaluate the strength of a defensive matchup, I, I certainly feel that the full season is just going to lie to us because teams, you know, the, the personnel changes, players get hurt, players get healthy, schemes change. Uh, sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's, it's more obvious. Um, there's just a, it, it's, I mean, just analyzing the NFL as it is, it's like we're trying to catch a butterfly and you know, you never really, every time you think you have the net around the butterfly, the butterfly just dips in another way, or maybe it's trying to catch a Tim Wakefield knuckleball or something <laughs> like that. But, but I think if nothing else, when I'm looking at the lions, what I'm certainly going to do is I'm going to say, okay, well, they were playing pretty good defense early in the season. They're getting torched recently and as you mentioned i mean the list of quarterbacks who have done it to them is not exactly a who's who of mvp candidates i certainly put more emphasis on what i've seen recently and then sometimes that's going to be more of an anecdotal thing or something that i, I just kind of make the mental note other times i'll just run numbers from from shorter samples what has the team done in the last four weeks six weeks something like that and again it's not perfect you know we, we know how important getting the right player or two back for a defense can can be sometimes but uh, the, the bottom line is this. I, I don't want to look at the full season stats because I think there's just too much noise and misleading stuff in there. And the, the Detroit Lions defense is a great example of that. That's the beauty of a game log, right? You can look at specific matchups. You can kind of take that approach where you're looking at a team's overall performance in a more granular way. And you can say, okay, who have they faced? You know, I know the, how much they're giving up on average to a certain position or whatever. I know how many points they've given up per game you know, over the past however many weeks, but who are they giving it up to and what mm-hmm. teams? And, and I think that's something that a lot of people overlook. And I, I, I find a lot of value in just looking at a player's game log in a defense's, you know, game log against certain positions. And that, that's something that you can kind of 
especially like you said, if you can focus in on what's happening recently and tie it into certain events like players getting injured, uh, you know, certain opponents getting injured, things like that. There's a lot of value in that to me. That's such a great point. I, you know, you'll sometimes see teams like say, oh, such and such a team can't can't mark tight ends. You know, and then you look and, and they play Gronkowski and Kelsey and Ertz or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, well, nobody can cover those guys. No, that, that, that's an excellent point. And, and to be fair, too, when a team struggles at something, I mean, the, the NFL, every, every team is self-scouting itself. I mean, if a team struggles at something, they're trying to improve. I mean, sometimes there are no answers. Sometimes you're just, you know, like when, when Eli got benched, one of the points I made about that was that, well, there's really no answer with the Giants. You know, it's not like they have an up-and-coming quarterback they're excited about. It's not like they have a veteran who could kind of you know, solidify the ship. It's not like Eli's playing well. I feel like they have three choices. It's like, it's like uh, they say in poker that there are three ways to play pocket jacks and they're all wrong. And I feel like <laughs> the Giants had, you know, had three quarterbacks that they could have started. None of them really were the right answer for week 13. But, um, yeah, you, I totally agree with the point you're making. I mean, I, and tight end seems to be a position where it really comes into play a lot, where I'll see sometimes teams aren't allowing any tight end production, and you see who they've played, and it's teams that don't even incorporate the tight end in their offense. So it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? It means that when they face a tight end who's pretty good, you know, we'll find out if they can cover him or not. Um, but yeah, great. I just, you know, there's a long way of saying that I agree. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the beauty of this point of the season too, is we finally have enough data on these teams where we can see at least some level of performance versus, you know, good tight ends, bad tight ends, good quarterbacks, bad quarterbacks. And, um, the only other, uh, quarterback I wanted to mention here as a potential, you know, boom of the week, just based upon the super low expectations I had and how well he did was Tom Savage, uh, at Tennessee Mm -hmm. QB 14, 16 and a half points. Uh, the Titans are, are just a joke, and, and I, I, I want to save some of my stats for them, um, for the QBs uh, that we're going to look to stream for next week later in the episode, um, so I'm going to hold off on that. Let's get to our bust of the week. Uh, the quarterback who underperformed your expectations the most in Week 13, Scott, who was it for you? Well, it's not like I thought Matt Ryan was going to light up the Vikings, but, I mean, no touchdowns. Um, it's not, I don't think anybody expected Julio Jones to go bonkers for two weeks in a row, but... I mean, to have him as, as just not involved as he was, um, I have to mention Ryan. And also, as I, as I alluded to earlier in the podcast, um, I thought Trevor Simeon was a decent two-quarterback play because Miami's just been giving stuff away. And and I fell into, you know, maybe it's just I, I saw Simeon play pretty well in that Oakland game, and I know Oakland's past defense is, is god-awful. But I thought, well, Miami's isn't much better. I, I thought Simeon would be good for a solid 240 and a couple of touchdowns and Obviously, he wasn't anywhere near that. You know, the three interceptions, he doesn't put any touchdowns on the board. And and even in the teams where necessarily I wasn't playing Simeon, I thought Emmanuel Sanders was actually a decent play in DFS, and, and you know, he barely scored at all. So, uh, you know, Ryan is, is my bigger name, bust of the week. And then Simeon, if you're looking for the you know, somebody who I thought had deeper value, and it totally ended up being a bad call. Yeah, I agree with both of those. I had a, a short list of three guys to talk about, and they were both on mine. Simeon... Yeah, you looked at that matchup and you thought it was just good to go. The Dolphins had allowed seven straight top 20 finishes, and in 2QB, that's all you really want from a guy like Semyon. Before Week 13, only one quarterback had scored under 11.4 fantasy points against them, and that was to you know a candidate for the underachiever of the year, Marcus Mariota, back in Week 5. So, I mean, looking forward, 
for this Denver offense, I wouldn't really blame anybody for just kind of avoiding it going forward. Now, we talked earlier about how you don't you never want to say never, right? You, you definitely want to consider guys like Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas week to week, but the running back situation there is a mess. Uh, the quarterback situation has been a mess all year. They're just like the Giants, right? They have three different quarterbacks, and none of them are good. Matt Ryan, I was with you. I thought that he would succeed in spite of that matchup to some extent. He seemed to have righted the ship, kind of performing pretty well. I think he scored over 14 points for six straight games. But you kind of look at where he ranked among quarterbacks in those weeks, and it was that classic Matt Ryan mediocrity, right, between quarterback 11 and quarterback 18 and all, all of those weeks. So cratering at home like this with Devonta Freeman back on the field didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I don't know, maybe we should have seen it coming against the Vikings because you look at how they've performed, and since week four, they've only allowed more than 15 points to a quarterback once for the whole season. They've allowed about 13 fantasy points per game to passers, and the average weekly finish against them is about QB 18 and a half. So I don't know, maybe we just missed the boat on the Vikings defense, but yeah, I, I expected more from both of those guys. What did you think about Brady at Buffalo? Because he finished, uh, you know, almost as bad as, as both of those guys, uh, under nine fantasy points. His previous worst week was back in the season opener when the Patriots kind of fell apart against the Chiefs. He was QB 19 in that game with about 10.7 fantasy points. Was this something that we could have predicted from Brady considering, you know, the matchup against the Bills? Before I get to Brady, I, I just want to throw in a quick aside that, I think Minnesota snuck up. People know Minnesota's a good team, but I think Minnesota snuck up on a lot of people because Philadelphia has been such a big story with Wentz, and he's an MVP candidate. And you know the Saints have these two running backs, and that they've been a big story. And I think this is going to be the the mainstream media's you know oh let's catch up to Minnesota week. You know not that again not that people didn't know they were a good team, but now people are starting to take themselves seriously, take them seriously as you know this could be a buy team. This could be a team that theoretically could stay home for the entire playoffs because the Super Bowl is in Minnesota. And uh, and what a great story Keenum is. I don't believe the Vikings when they talk about you know Keenum's week to week and we're not sure about him. I think Mike Zimmer thinks he's being cute. He thinks people are going to have to maybe game plan for Teddy Bridgewater. It's just ridiculous. You could never bench a guy who's playing as well as Keenum. As far as the Patriots go, I thought the offensive line played very poorly when they got in scoring position and sputtered a few drives, uh, led to too many Goskowski field goals. And then it just so happened when they did get right at the goal line, Burkett was successful and he punched in a couple of touchdowns. Just one of those things that you need you need your offense to have a certain flow to it. You need things you need other elements to succeed, but not succeed too well uh, for uh, any player to have value. You know, I mean, if you own Brady, you you want the running play to die inside the five yard line, but maybe not the one yard line where it's too inviting to run. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, Gronkowski was somebody that Buffalo wanted to mark. They never really seemed to do it that well. Gronkowski had a history of big games against Buffalo. They didn't score last week. And then, unfortunately, he let some of his frustration out on on uh, a Buffalo player, and now he's justly suspended for a week. Um, I, I do think Gronkowski takes a lot more away from the action, maybe kind of cheap shots that most players do, but there's no defending what he did. He was justly suspended. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I think they could have easily given him a multiple-game suspension, and nobody could really complain about it. The Patriots have one of the better offensive lines. They're a really good offensive line coach. They usually have a continuity at the offensive line, although 
a lot of times I think it's the good play that creates the continuity as much as it is the continuity that creates the good play. Yep. If your guys weren't playing well, you'd be changing them up. You'd be using different things. But uh, the offensive line did not play particularly well when they were in scoring position. That's why we saw more Goskowski than maybe fantasy owners wanted to see. Yeah, and there have been a lot of success from other teams in previous weeks running the ball against the Bills. Aside from the Week 12 game where Alex Smith inexplicably only handed off 14 times, teams have generally been hammering them with running backs in recent weeks, and Mm -hmm. I think that had a lot to do with it as well. You know, We're getting into the cold weather part of the schedule, and the Patriots know they're going to probably get a bye and you know be set to go for the playoffs, so maybe Brady doesn't have to do quite as much. That's not normally their mindset, and, and they've never been the type of team to take their foot off the gas, but I think there might be something to that for this particular matchup where the Bills are basically just asking you to run it against them. So that's another matchup I'm going to be looking at going forward because I think we can probably expect more of the same considering the fact that the weather is getting colder for the fantasy playoffs. We got Indy and Miami coming up uh, next for the Bills, and you know those are two teams with subpar quarterbacks, and they might try to hide them in Weeks 14 and 15. And then it's New England again in Week 16, and who knows, maybe they'll try to protect Tom Brady to some extent by running the ball a lot again. But uh, that's something to keep in mind. If you have the running backs on those teams, I think you can feel pretty good about them in the fantasy playoffs. I'm glad that you brought up Case Keenum and uh, Teddy Bridgewater because that was a listener question I got when I you know, asked, asked folks yesterday what they wanted to hear about on this episode. Um, at Jens Leffler asked, what's going to happen to Bridgewater now? And I'm with you. I don't think there's any way they can bench Case Keenum. And I think that assuming health for Keenum, we should expect that he's going to hold that starting job maybe until Minnesota locks up their playoff seating. And at that point, and only at that point, will we even – get a chance of snipping Bridgewater. I assume you're, you're kind of on the same page there. It sounds like it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would make sense to maybe get some reps for Bridgewater in week 17, although it's always a tough question. What do you do if you're a team with a first round bye? if you're not going to play in week 18, as it were, I mean, to what degree do you want to protect people and not get anybody hurt versus you run the risk of throwing all your sharpness out the window, maybe the week off just you kind of dulls everybody anyway. And it's not uncommon to see those teams come out a little flat in the divisional round when they haven't played the first week. But I, I would be flabbergasted. I, you know, maybe, maybe what Zimmer wanted to do is protect himself. I mean, coaches will always want options. And if Keenum had played really, really poorly, maybe he just wanted to leave the door open to play Bridgewater if it came to that. But I think all along they thought Keenum's playing too well to bench him. And now it's gotten to the point where there's actually a vested – yeah, he, he's. It's almost like I mean, he's a made man now. He's played too long, too well, too long. And remember, Bridgewater has such a limited sample in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's you know he he was I think he was a was he a first or second round pick. I forget exactly when he was drafted, but uh, he wasn't. He certainly wasn't one of the first five or six players taken. I mean, it wasn't like he was drafted and they immediately knew they had their quarterback for the next ten years. They hoped that he would develop into a plus player. I think his index quarterback rating is right around the league average since he's played, since he's coming to the NFL, maybe a little bit below a hundred. He's been a perfectly fine player, but not really a needle mover. And the thing that's interesting about Keenum is that, you know, as poorly as he played last year, it was with a coaching staff and an offense that was just so far behind the times and needed to be antiquated and junked and, and look at how many things have turned around since Jeff Fisher left, you know, with both with people who are still on the Rams or people who are on different teams but were held back from the Rams last year. I mean, Jared Goff didn't win a game last year. I mean, he looked like, you know, people were ready to say he was a bust and he looked terrible. I mean, it's just nice to see him with an offense that's a lot more modern and, and, and man switching from 
Switching from Fisher, I, I I know Fisher's been kicked a, a lot, so I, I you know it's kind of like you know, the low hanging fruit to say anything negative about Fisher, but it feels like they went from a go kart to a Lamborghini. I mean, they they have the youngest coach in the NFL, and they look like they're going to be set up for a long time. But you know, who's to say that Case Keenum isn't good? I, I know to some degree he may be being dragged by Diggs and Thielen, who are excellent receivers, and their support guys are good. Kyle Rudolph is you know, maybe not a stud tight end, but he's a very solid player. Uh, McKinnon can catch the ball. Their offensive line has gotten a lot better this year, which is obviously helps. And the defense keeps them in positive game script. I, I think just think Case Keenum's good. I think he's also in a perfect situation where just about everything you'd want an offense to have, they have. But but still, I, I'd be flabbergasted. Keenum would have to get hurt or play poorly in multiple games for there to be a sea change here. Yeah, the offensive line point you make is one that I've brought up on the show before, and that's a big one for me. It's similar to what you were talking about earlier where continuity helps, but you know, playing well also helps continuity, right? And I think that's something that we might be seeing with Keenum specifically. I think Kirk Cousins is a good example of that in the past where, you know, he didn't necessarily have that pedigree and, and we were all, you know, waving our hands in the air wondering why the hell he was starting over Robert Griffin the third, you know, considering Griffin's draft stock compared to Cousins, but you know, you, you put a, a competent player in a good situation like that, and that's how they get better. And maybe that's what we're seeing with Keenum now. I, I I am fascinated to see how the rest of the season plays out for him and for that team, because like you said, they've been such an awesome story, and his turnaround has been exceptional. Like, he was a guy who we we wouldn't expect to do anything, you know, in previous seasons. He, he looked so bad, and maybe it was just the supporting cast issue with him. Um, I want to turn towards week 14 on a more granular level here and talk about uh, like a streaming pick and a, a benching pick, a, a clipboard holder of the week, if you will. So let's start with our streamer of the week at quarterback, kind of talking about like a low end QB two or a QB three type who an owner wouldn't always start. But based upon matchup or whatever else, you're looking at them with more consideration than you normally would in week 14. Well, you mentioned Tom Savage earlier, and you know the thing with Savage, I know he makes a couple of what was he thinking throws, or a couple of telegraph throws every week, but he's got a good thing going with Hopkins. I mean, Hopkins' production, it wasn't, it's not staying at the level it was with Watson, but it's been pretty good. And what impressed me also last week is when they had uh, their tight end get hurt, when Fedorowicz got hurt last week, mm-hmm. I think it was, it was last week Fedorowicz got hurt, and, yep. and they had to press Steven Anderson into an expanded role. He looked great. And, and Savage immediately clicked with him. I mean, I, sometimes that's the type of thing that, and, and I don't know, maybe they've run you know, reps because they're both, you know, ostensibly not starters, so you know, maybe they had some extra rapport. You never really, I don't, I don't know if that's an overplayed card or not, but it does seem like sometimes guys, you know, look at Blaine Gabbert and Ricky Seals-Jones, you know, it seems like these guys must have been running some reps together at some point. But um, San Francisco, we know their defense that, that pretty much isn't going to get in your way. I do think Garoppolo, who's much higher on my board this week, and, and I'm aggressively starting him or promoting him. I think they're going to put up points. I think Houston's going to have to throw the ball to try to keep up. And, and I think this could be a game where maybe 27 or 30 points are needed to win. Uh, Tom Savage is somebody, it's been a while for me, uh, because I don't think he's necessarily a great football player, but I think he's been better. The thing with Savage is when he came out and played so poorly right away, and we were all kind of kicked in the gut because Watson was such a great story and, and he was playing better than anybody in the league at that point that I, I think maybe there was a little bit too much of a dog pile on Savage. He's still an NFL quarterback and I think he's acquitted himself better than people might realize. 
Yeah, a point that uh, my old podcast partner Josh Lake made earlier in this year about Savage was, and I think a lot of people have forgotten this, he was the guy that not only the coaching staff, but DeAndre Hopkins wanted to be the starter in week one. And say what you will, I mean, Watson was great. We can't take that away from Watson, but there's something to be said about Tom Savage being a guy who knows this offense, who's been there long enough, and this is a really nice matchup against the Niners. They allow the, uh, I think the, let's see, an average weekly finish of QB 11 Point mm-hmm. five, about 19 fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. They rank 29th in pass defense DVOA. Really nice spot. Uh, I like the other side of that, like you said with Garoppolo, uh, that Houston allows even more points per game to the quarterback position. And I do think that we now have uh, enough of a sample size on Garoppolo to proclaim him as a competent NFL starter. And competent NFL starters have succeeded against the Texans' defense. So I, I like both of those calls. I want to go with Blaine Gabbert here against Tennessee. I kind of teased this earlier, but the fantasy numbers against the Titans don't look great on the surface, but only three of the quarterbacks they face currently rank in the top 15 of points per game among quarterbacks. One of them is Deshaun Watson. Uh, He was, let's see, he went for 32 against them in week four, which was the QB one for that week. Russell Wilson Mm -hmm. was uh, the QB two against them in week three with over 30 points. And Ben Roethlisberger, was the QB2 against them in Week 11. So good quarterbacks tend to do well. Now, I'm not saying that Gabbert qualifies as one of those players, but I think he's certainly startable in this matchup because the Titans' defense is very beatable. The other guy I want to mention is uh, Deshaun Kaiser against the Packers. The Packers' defense has been a little stingier than these other ones we've talked about. They only allow about 17 points per game to the position. Average weekly finish about QB14, number 22 in pass defense DVOA. But that return to Josh Gordon, we talked about it earlier, I think – we're probably going to see a little bit more of Corey Coleman again this week. And you mentioned him earlier, David Njoku starting to come on a little bit. I don't know why they're not using him more. I think you, you had the same concern earlier. But this is an offense that's getting pretty interesting for the stretch run, especially given the matchup. If we throw out Russell Wilson's inexplicable dud against uh, the Packers in week one and chalk that up to maybe like an extended preseason sort of situation, The only QBs to really flounder against the Packers were Mike Lennon in Week 4. He finishes the QB 32 with about 5 fantasy points. And Joe Flacco in Week 11, uh, QB 22, about 9 points. Otherwise, quarterbacks are scoring a ton against the Packers. More than 20 points per game. Average weekly finish of about QB 10. So I think this is a really nice spot for Kaiser, despite the concerns that we maybe have about him. And I might be running him out there in uh, in a couple leagues, including a league that you and I are in together, that Chunk Muncy uh, auction format with with no pickups, no additions. That's I'm looking at Kaiser versus Carr, and I mean, I don't know. I I, I can make the case for Kaiser. I think. No, it's interesting. I can see it. I mean, he's got more help certainly um, with with Gordon stepping up, and hopefully Joku's role will expand. Just one other point I want to make about Russell Wilson. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on it because, you know, he's Russell Wilson. We all know how great he is. But I feel like his fantasy seasons and his fantasy games are almost like the, the college student, like maybe I'm describing myself, who would do the term paper the night before, where it seems like Russell Wilson always gets off to mediocre starts in September. And I know uh, Seattle's DVOA by quarter starts off really crummy and gets really good in the fourth quarter. And Wilson's stats in the fourth quarter are ridiculous this year. And I I don't know if this is a a Bevel thing. I don't know if it's a Wilson thing. I don't know if it speaks to Seattle's conditioning. Maybe they have some sort of edge over a defense because they tire them out or they're in better shape. I I don't know what it is. Maybe the play calling takes a certain tint in the second half. 
uh, based on game situation. I, you know, I, I know that it does seem, I, I haven't done the numbers on this, but it does seem like they play with more urgency and at a different pace in the second half, but maybe you can't play that way the entire game. But for whatever it is, uh, if Russell Wilson's got something due the next day, I feel like he's doing it all that night and that morning, but somehow comes out smelling like a rose. He's one of my favorite players to watch. And, uh, you know, he's really unlocked Jimmy Graham. You know, just what it seemed like Jimmy Graham was just another tight end. Now I feel like he's going to score every week. I, I feel as confident about him scoring a touch, a receiving touchdown as pretty much anybody right now. Um, but I, I don't know what it is about Seattle that it all seems like rather than have – and look, I, I get it. Production isn't always going to be linear, you know, a little bit in the first quarter, a little bit in the second quarter. And, and football is a very dynamic game. But it does seem to be following a pattern. There's been fantasy seasons before where Wilson has carried me in the uh, in the fantasy playoffs, remember his rookie year, you could explain it because they weren't giving him a lot of responsibility right away, and he was getting expanded work and expanded responsibility later in that season, was becoming more confident as a runner. But I just wonder why this has been such a prevalent Russell Wilson theme and pattern all through his career. Yeah, Wilson's man, he's great, and he was one of the few quarterbacks I was willing to pay up for this year mm-hmm. in two quarterback formats. Him and Newton were were kind of the high-end QBs that I was kind of taking chances on in MFL 10s and in these formats where you have to draft more quarterbacks, if only because their price seemed to be suppressed based upon what we saw from them the previous season. Uh, And this is a really nice segue to the clipboard holder of the week segment to kind of wrap things up here because I wanted to ask you about him uh, up against the Jaguars. And the Jags have clearly been the best defense against quarterbacks this year. They only allow about eight and a half fantasy points per game. Average weekly finish for quarterbacks against them is QB 23.8. They're number one in pass defense DVOA. But I don't think I'm mentioning him if I have him, just because, like you said, it, it seems that when the chips are on the table, that's when he's at his best. He, he tends to perform well under pressure. And, you know, I'm not too worried about this matchup because what, Jacksonville does super well is take away, you know, outside receivers and Paul Richardson, Tyler Lockett. Okay. We still have Doug Baldwin in the slot. We still have Jimmy Graham. Like you mentioned, are you okay running Wilson out there in, uh, you know, one of your two quarterback spots this week? Yeah, I am. Uh, And it's because I have Wilson ranked a lot lower than usual. Um, for the moment he's at eighth on my quarterback board, which is about as low as I'll ever have Russell Wilson. But the problem is that, the quarterbacks I have ranked ahead of them, it wouldn't make any sense for you to have these two players on the same teams. I know this happens sometimes, but right. you know, people generally don't have Tom Brady and Russell Wilson on the same team, unless it's a two, it's a two quarterback league, and then you're happily playing them, and you know you'll continue to do that. But in a one quarterback format, you you wouldn't have Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson. If if you drafted Wilson, you would avoid Stafford where he went, and if you were eyeing Stafford, you wouldn't have drafted Wilson. You know, teams don't have Drew Brees and Russell Wilson together. And and so I the quarterbacks I see although Breeze is is a whole nother box of chocolates I mean <laughs> you know I mean he's he's still a great player he's still a, a really high efficiency player but you know with Ingram having the year he's had and and Kamara and by the way I, I don't think I have Kamara anywhere man that is he is so good and when you see a player do the things that he does that you just it's so rare to see I remember Sean Payton was making a comparison to Alvin Kamara before the season, and he hadn't revealed who the player he was comparing him to as of yet. And I thought, oh, it's probably going to be a Reggie Bush comparison. I'm not sure how I feel about that. And then Peyton said he Kamara reminded him of Marshall Fox. Right, I almost yeah. drove off the road. Like, whoa. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm thinking, my first thought was, and no disrespect to Sean Peyton, 
But my first thought was, don't res- don't compare anybody to Marshall Falk. I mean, he Marshall Falk, man, is just he's just one of those guys who I mean, what compare Lenny Moore to Marshall Falk or somebody? But I mean, it's just so few players like him. But now I'm thinking, I don't know who to compare Alvin Kamara to, and uh, I mean, it's kind of a, a you know I'm, I'm talking on the side of Breeze here, but. Yeah, Russell Wilson is somebody, the guys who you would start ahead of him, I don't think would be on your roster anyway. And because Wilson is such is so good running the ball, is so good making something out of nothing, I mean, it's conceivable that Jacksonville could, quote-unquote, win a play on defense, and the result can still be Seattle making a big play. You know, Remember that, that um, rabbit-out-of-the-hat play that Wilson made with Baldwin, I, th- I think it was against Arizona in that Thursday game. But I mean, I, I can think back in my mind without, without even trying, or the, the play that Russell Wilson made in the playoffs against Minnesota with the bad snap, and then he picks the ball up. Most quarterbacks would just eat the sack or throw the ball into the stands. They end up getting completion out of it. You know, all those plays that Russell Wilson made against the Packers the year that the Packers really had them dead and buried in the NFC Championship game, including that two-point conversion, which was like a broken play. I mean, there isn't a lot of structure in Seattle's offense, and I, I, I get that they would like to play more structured, and part of it is just you have to play to Wilson's strengths. Part of it, you know, the line is as poor as it is. They haven't gotten any consistent running game. But I, I think Russell Wilson, I'm, I'm not somebody who necessarily has a problem with benching a name player. It's just this is a bad year for Usually at this time of year, I'd feel like there were 16, 18, 20 quarterbacks I could feel pretty confident about and say, okay, you can bench a Russell Wilson because I feel really good about so-and-so. I just don't think this year is presenting a lot of those types of options. So if it's not Wilson for you, who is the guy that you're maybe looking to bench this week who you wouldn't normally? Because there are a, a lot of fairly good options in terms of guys who we have relatively high week-to-week expectations for in tough matchups. we got Matt Ryan going against New Orleans. It sounds like Marshawn Lattimore is going to be back for them. Cam Newton against the Vikings. Uh, Kirk Cousins against the Chargers. Roethlisberger against Baltimore. Do any of those guys jump out to you? Is it somebody else? You know, Roethlisberger, man, I wish I knew what to do with him. I know they've been primarily scoring their touchdowns at home uh, through the air. And obviously, Antonio Brown is, is on. I mean, he's great all the time anyway, but he, he's on particularly on a, on a scoring clip right now. They're not going to have Smith-Schuster. Um, Baltimore, I, I know they lost Jimmy Smith, who's who a huge loss for them. But mm-hmm. these games seem to be just a lot of 2017, 17-14, Sovereignocker-type games. I would not. I feel like I'm almost taking a little low-hanging fruit because Roethlisberger has not been a particularly consistent player this year, but... Uh, I have him 16th on my current board, which is lower than I would normally have him. I also have Josh McCown lower than usual. And again, I may, maybe you can help me with this. I, I Maybe I'm fooling myself with Denver. Maybe, maybe I'm fooling myself with the altitude. Maybe this is just a bad team with, I don't know if it's, it's a matter of effort, if they don't believe in the scheme. You know, they, they lost, obviously they lost Wade Phillips. They they total head coach uh, change and the offense that sold them down the river a bunch of times. And some of these touchdowns they're allowing have been on short fields because the offense can't get out of its own way. But Josh McCown has been so good to me for three months and, <laughs> and I have him outside the quarterback one line this week. And I, you know, that's somewhere I usually don't have him. Matt Ryan's another guy. I, I probably misranked Matt Ryan all year because I thought there's too much talent here. I don't care if the coordinator changed, how much could Sarkeesian screw this up? I mean, Matt Ryan at some point should be the offensive coordinator of the team on some level because he's been there for so long. Obviously, he has a lot of responsibility at the line of scrimmage, and you can get out of plays if he wants to. That's just what you get when you're an experienced quarterback. But I don't know. I, I, man, I, I, this is a year 
usually at this time of year, I, I would have no problem pointing to seven or eight guys that I'd, I'd like more than usual and then giving you a couple of really good guys to fade. And this year, I almost feel like I'm fading everybody. And I know that's a really cheap non-answer, and I, you shouldn't let me get away with that. But this is the part of 2017 that feels different to me, the fact that I have trouble being confident with quarterbacks week to week. Yeah, it's the state of the quarterback position. That middle class is just so tightly packed together that it's hard to differentiate between these guys, especially when you know most of the defenses haven't been all that good either, which is why I brought up Wilson in the first place is because it's one of the best quarterbacks and one of the most consistently performing fantasy quarterbacks going up against the toughest possible defense. And we're still probably going to start him over these other guys who ostensibly have better matchups, but just based upon who they are and how you know, varied they've been week to week, it's hard to trust those guys. I think this is possibly the week to get off of McCown, though. I'm with you on fading him to some extent. The Broncos, I don't know. They, they're still decent enough at stopping the run. And they've limited yardage to quarterbacks and receivers fairly well. It just seems like the touchdowns are fluky, and they've given up a lot of those. And to me, I struggle with this sometimes where I'm trying to figure out, okay, if I think there's going to be some amount of regression, how much of that can I really apply to a one-week sample? And, And look at this game and say, well, I think the Broncos are due to start giving up fewer passing touchdowns relative to how much yardage they've given up. But is that going to you know, take hold right now this week? Against a team like the Jets, I think it could. You know, they, they have a pretty limited receiver set. I mean, we're talking about Robbie Anderson and Jermaine Curse and Austin Safarian Jenkins. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's a tough call. I'm, I'm with you. I'll probably be lower on him than most this week. Um, Matt Ryan, man, he's just been kind of the epitome of limited upside, hasn't he? He hasn't posted a top 10 finish since week one. I think he's only hit over 18 fantasy points once this season. I generally don't mind chasing floor at the quarterback position with a guy like Ryan just because passing touchdowns can be fluky, right? And you might see a game where a guy just lucks into three passing touchdowns or two rushing touchdowns like we saw with McCown or we've seen even guys like Simeon get away with earlier this year. So the ceiling's always going to be there for every quarterback, Matt Ryan included. So maybe this is the opposite of that McCown thing. We're going up against New Orleans where he has to throw. Maybe he hits that three-touchdown game that we haven't seen him put up this season. Yeah, I, I, if you ask me which one of those guys I'd rather start, I'd probably still go with Ryan based upon the floor. But McCown, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm spinning in circles here, too. Well, what do you do with these guys? Yeah, ask you something else, too, because I, I don't have a good answer for this, but I've been thinking about it for a long time. I've been a Marcus Mariota fan dating back to his college days, and I thought he should have been the number one pick the year Winston went one, although you know Winston certainly had a case. It's not like Winston wasn't a you know interesting prospect Heisman Trophy winner and he had a great career at Florida State. Mar- I know Marcus Mariota was hurt, missed a game. Um, you know, who's to say how healthy he is right now? But he's had such a blah season, such a mediocre season, and all all the questions we ask ourselves in, in the NFL seldom do they have one answer. It's it's usually a bunch of different things. But I'm curious, how do you? divvy up the blame with what's gone wrong or what hasn't gone right with the Tennessee passing offense. I put most most of it on the coaching and the play calling. Mm -hmm. I I think that kind of like Goff last year with Jeff Fisher or the Bears this year with John Fox, that Mike Malarkey scheme, you know, exotic smash mouth is just not creative enough, not innovative enough in terms of what they're trying to do. They haven't really embraced their best players, it seems like. They haven't really embraced the pass when they have a very talented quarterback and some good receivers, finally. 
I, I think that's where the blame lies for me for the most part. I, I'd like to see them use Derrick Henry more. I'd like to see them let Mariota throw more, and they're just not doing that. Yeah, that, that's what I'm leaning towards. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I've, I've tried to rewatch as many of the Tennessee games as I can, but you know, I'm not uh, – you know, I'm somebody who's watched football for a long time. I think I'm an intelligent football observer. I'm, I'm not Bill Walsh. I'm not Bill Belichick. I, I've never coached on any level. So you know, if, if I were to watch the All-22 tape, I'm, I'm not sure I would even be picking out the right things, to be completely fair. But you know, when I see somebody like Henry outplaying Murray to the level he is and the Titans still – keeping Murray in, you know, the, the upper hand of a timeshare, it makes you wonder what they're doing. I do think they wanted to be more proactive with Mariota as a runner. When he got hurt early in the year, they, they probably pulled the plug on that in the sense that they just don't think they can expose him to that much. And it's a shame because he's so athletic, but of course you need him healthy. I mean, the drop down to Matt Castle is just, you know, it's a kill shot for that team. Still not really sure how they're eight and four, but, but somehow there, there they are. But I've always feel I walk away from every Tennessee game thinking, other than Henry, it's like I'm not sure what this team is doing well. I always feel like this plays left on the field. I feel like this, I know I know um, a critique a lot of people have made is that their the receivers are asked to win individually more maybe than other teams do it, where it, they don't run as many combination routes or try to scheme their guys open. It's more like okay, you're going to beat your man. You're going to run this route and you're going to be open and. I don't know. There's, there's something isn't right here. I, I don't know if maybe Mariota's confidence is a little shaken. Maybe he's struggling to actually see. Because the, the, the idea of what's open in the NFL is obviously much different than, than college. In college, you can see guys open and throw it to them. Where in the NFL, you have to anticipate that guys are open. And, and maybe he, you know, all the time that Corey Davis missed, I mean, maybe that's been uh, keeping him from realizing his potential. I mean, you hate to put a lot on a rookie, but I, I always feel like Davis could do more than what he's doing so far albeit in a limited amount of games, something doesn't add up here. And, and I agree with you that my first inclination is to think that malarkey is leaving as much on the field as his players are. I love that point you make about the scheme of not specifically for the receivers. And I think that Jared Goff and the Rams are a good example of how we've seen that flip, right? Where last year we had a similar situation where we weren't really understanding why they were running the types of plays they were. And, I mean, a lot of it was probably just to be conservative, to protect Goff and Keenum or, or, or limit their mistakes to some extent. But you see McVay go in there to Los Angeles and what he's done to open up things for guys like Robert Woods or another rookie receiver, Cooper Cup, who hasn't necessarily underperformed. And that's the type of stuff that seems to be missing with Mariota. But speaking of Goff, what do you think about him this week against the Eagles? Because... I, I still think Goff is, is a little overvalued. It seems that the good defenses he faces still tend to shut him down. I think Seattle, Jacksonville, Minnesota have all held him to pretty modest fantasy point totals. It's, he's a guy He's a guy who, for me, if I owned him, which I don't own him anywhere because I was pretty down on him anyway, he's a guy who I would consider benching this week, despite the fact that, you know, people are going to look at that Philly matchup and say, oh, this could be an up-tempo, you know, back-and-forth scoring thing. I believe in the Eagles' defense, and I think that they might be one of those teams good enough to kind of bring the old Jared Goff back to light here in Week 14. What, what do you think about that matchup? Yeah, the one thing that's tough about Goff is for a, to start a quarterback confidently, I need to see like a path to where he's going to be successful. And, and with Robert Woods out of this offense, and you never really know how much Watkins is going to get used. I mean, we, we know he's very important for how they want to dictate – 
the defense actually defend the Rams, and and it's almost like he's a an upgraded version of the Sean Jackson role that McVay was familiar with with Washington. But mm-hmm. it, it's like you know, you look at quarterback, you want to say where where is points going to come from? Where is easy throws going to come from? And, and I don't mean to make Robert Woods out to be a pro bowler, but I mean, hey, he was their most targeted, most successful receiver before he got hurt. I love the way they're using Gurley. Um, you know, Cup is a useful player. You know, Watkins is still a difference maker on the field, even if it doesn't always amount to project, to production. And also, I think this Rams defense, which has really come on with Wade Phillips and, you know, wasn't playing maybe all that great earlier in the year, but I think it's a plus defense now. This looks to me like a game that's going to be played 24-20, you know, 23-20, something like that. I don't think it's going to be a shootout. I don't think it's going to be a pinball game. As marvelous a season as Wentz has, has had, I don't I don't think Philadelphia is going to come in here and think, okay, we're going to throw it all over the lot. They want to be balanced. They have three and sometimes even four running backs that they like to use. They all have different skill sets. So I, I, the thing with Goff is I think he has a, a reasonable floor, but – he doesn't. If if you're if you think that you need multiple touchdowns from your quarterback, I don't feel confident at all projecting that from Goff. Yeah, I I think most quarterbacks have an inherent floor based upon just how many times they touch the ball. So I'm with you. That's not a matchup I'm really excited about. The last guy I wanted to ask you about was Cam Newton against the Vikings, and I think it's hard to relate what Cam does to you know the matchup numbers the versus quarterback numbers we're going to see like minnesota only allows 13.2 fantasy points per game uh they rank number eight in pass defense dvoa but cam newton's a different type of player right he scores his points in unconventional ways he seems fully healthy now his seems like his ceiling has returned he's one of only six active quarterbacks to have top 10 finishes in at least half of his starts it seems like the good cam is back the rushing cam is back Mm -hmm. Are, are you concerned about him against the vikings I've always felt that Cam Newton, and, and I haven't done any hard data on this, but I've always felt he was just like a matchup haywire player yeah. where he could go off against uh, against what should be a difficult matchup, and he could go off the reservation in what looks like a cookie matchup. Big Ben-esque. And, and in part, you know, he's not always the most accurate thrower. Um, this offense doesn't always you know, have a, a very consistent pace to it. You love the fact from a fantasy perspective that – I mean, you look at his game logs for rushing. I mean, they they were seemed like they were just trying to get you know Cam you know uh, out of that racket forever. But at some point, the the competitiveness takes over, the athleticism takes over. Man, he's so hard to cover. He's so hard. I mean, if they want a yard at the goal line, or if they want to run on a two point conversion, or there are plays that it's so hard to to, to stop Newton that I, I guess they just throw caution in the wind and think, well, he's a big guy. He's managed to to play through all these hits. And I talked about, I think I said earlier, I talked about Gronkowski and all the stuff that he takes. I mean, Cam Newton, I don't know what it takes to get a roughing the passer on Cam Newton, but it seems, <laughs> it seems like it's kind of like the Shaq syndrome, right? I mean, yeah. when Shaquille O'Neal was in the NBA, and, and, and people say it was this way with Wilt Chamberlain, too. I mean, nobody feels bad for the Giant. You know, everybody feels like, oh, he can take it. You know, it's almost like they give everybody license to get away with things they shouldn't get away from. Gronkowski, anyway, too. This is a lot. Yeah, right. Absolutely. This is a long way of saying I'm not confident that Newton will have a great day throwing the ball, but his rushing floor is so high. I, f- I feel like you can expect 40 to 60 rushing yards every week and, and probably a, a little bit better than a 50 percent chance to score a rushing touchdown. So he's already got that in his back pocket. He, he unless he falls on his face as a passer and, and granted, you know, he, he didn't 
throw the ball very well last week. They did get a couple of touchdowns, and, and he was disappointing in that Jets game that they really shouldn't have won, and they bailed out with a couple of return touchdowns. But because Newton is starting with that huge rushing floor in his back pocket, he really only needs to throw for a touchdown or, or a couple hundred yards to, to make it a decent fantasy day. It's not always pretty. I struggle watching him. I don't always agree with his decisions. Uh, it's a shame that they haven't gotten Olsen back and, and into the offense. I, I think that really would have made a big difference. Obviously, they lost Benjamin, who you know, some people would say, well, so what? I mean, Cam's MVP season was without Benjamin. I'm not sure they ever had the greatest of rapports. Uh, Funchess has come on in the last couple of weeks, which is which is encouraging to see. But with Cam, I, I almost just write off the matchup. I, I, again, you know, I've, I've seen him go haywire. Uh, against teams that should stop him, I've, I've seen him, you know, have horrible games against what look like great matchups. You just have to accept that he's a very different player, but he has one skill that we can bank on. That you know, now that it's back in, now that that quiver is back in his collection of arrows, man. I mean, I don't know how can you not play him. I feel like he'll get. I would say he's going to throw for maybe 195 yards this week and one touchdown, but I'd also give him a rushing touchdown and maybe 60 yards on the ground, and that will come out to you know probably a top 10 fantasy day. Yep, I'm, I'm with you. Got a couple more questions away from the quarterback position, but before we get there, do you have anything else on QBs in Week 14? Uh, no, I think I think we covered just about all of it. Let me maybe Kirk Cousins. I talk about somebody where everything's gone wrong. I mean, Reed. Uh, almost a lost season. They got nothing out of prior. It seems like they lose an offensive lineman every other possession. Obviously, Chris Thompson's out, and he was having a great year. And this Chargers defense is just playing so well right now. Mm-hmm. But Cousins, I, you know, he, he's he's a polarizing guy, right? It's like Washington can't make up their mind on Cousins. I feel like Twitter can't make up their mind on Cousins. I, I know some analysts who can't stand him, who think he's overrated. I know some other people think that Washington's crazy for not having you know, locked him up to a to a contract. I'm curious how you see Cousins both in, in the micro and the macro. What do you think about him for the Chargers? And are you just a Cousins guy in general? No, I was I was raising my hand when you said some people think he's overrated. That's that's me. I think that he's basically been a product of that offense and that offensive line for a few years here. And I think he's good. I think he's a, a, definitely one of the you know top 15 or 20 quarterbacks in the league for sure. But all they do is pass really. And, and I think that that inflates him from a fantasy perspective and also from a, you know, just an overall quarterback perception, you know, standpoint, the, the matchup is really tough this week. The chargers allow under 13 fantasy points per game. Uh, I think they rank sixth in pass defense DVOA, but like Newton cousins also has top 10 finishes in half his starts. And while this game is on the road, splits aren't really like home road splits, aren't really a thing for cousins. And just because they always seem dead set on throwing the ball, I'm never worried about his volume. And they have enough creative pieces and creative schemes, like we talked about with Goff and McVeigh, you know, to get, you know, unconventional receivers like Ryan Grant, like Jamison Crowder, like Thompson out of the backfield before he got hurt, to get those guys open. And that gives me at least a, 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 that warm, fuzzy floor feeling for Cousins, kind of like we talked about with Newton. He just gets it in a different way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and at least he's got – I know he didn't have a good game last week, but at least Crowder uh, woke up over the last four or five weeks, and mm-hmm. they're starting to get Doxson at least involved. It's, it's funny. I never feel like Doxson will lead the team in receptions or yards, but if I ever had to bet on the guy most likely to score a touchdown, yeah. a receiving touchdown anyway, I'd have to bet on Doxson because you know, he's got that um, – you know the pedigree and, and the size, and he started to flash a little bit. So 
bottom line is I, it may be ugly at times. I mean, you know, Bosa's going to be in his grill all day. And I, I admit that I've just fallen for this Chargers team. I, I really want them to make the playoffs. Not that I'm a, a fan of the Chargers per se. And, man, I, I really wish they were back in San Diego, and not not the least of which because I keep calling them the San Diego Chargers <laughs> about five times a week. But Me too. But it's I would really like to see them make the playoffs. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a tough game for, for Cousins from an efficiency standpoint. But the volume seems bankable. And also, Jay Gruden, and, and I, it's, it's always hard to tell – how much of coaching is the head coach? How much is the coordinators? I mean, who knows how much Gruden was being helped by McVeigh behind the scenes? You know, a head coach has to wear so many hats, has to deal with all the media responsibilities that other coaches don't have to deal with. But, uh, you know, Gruden, we, we saw, you know, what he did for Andy Dalton, and we saw what he's done for his offense um, since he's been in Washington. I mean, there, there's a guy you certainly want in your corner and a guy who knows how to design a passing offense, even with all the problems and all the injuries that they've faced this season. Yep, definitely. Um, I want to talk about the Tampa Bay running back situation. Mm -hmm. uh, Martin, Doug Martin, coming back from concussion potentially, but it seems like Peyton Barber's their best running back. Do you think he's the guy that we need to be owning in the fantasy playoffs moving forward? I do, although I, I really wasn't sure what to expect into last week. And then this is always the tricky thing for me is that, okay, they lose Martin two weeks ago, and it was primarily Rodgers who got the snaps but that was a, you know, a situation where the, you know, the fire alarm went off. I mean, they had to change midstream. And then they have a week to game plan, to design, to decide what they want to do. And then the usage totally flipped. We saw that with Green Bay earlier in the year where when Montgomery first got hurt, they had something that they did initially. But then when they had time to think about it, they actually felt differently about their players. And, of course, now it's flipped back. And now Williams is the main guy, it seems like. But Barbara really impressed me last week. And it, I don't think uh, Detroit's defense, as you talked about, we talked more about their pass defense, but I don't think Detroit's defense is certainly anything to fear. Barber was more involved in the passing game than I expected. I really struggle with Jameis Winston. I know we, I felt like we talked about almost every quarterback in the league. We didn't <laughs> talk about Winston. But um, after Barber's game last week, I mean, if there's one thing we know with coaches in, in all sports is that when something works, they tend to stick with it because, I mean, you know, coaches, they want to be successful, but they also don't want to be criticized. And, you know, Tampa Bay, after, a, you know, probably should, could have been a win, maybe even should have been a win at, at Green Bay, but Barber was the main part of their offense that was working. I can't imagine why he wouldn't be. I have him inside my top 20 at Detroit, or I, I'm sorry, home game against Detroit. And even if, if you have Martin plays, I mean, shouldn't they be in evaluation mode? I mean, it, it seems pretty clear they're going to move on from Martin anyway. I respect Peyton Barber will get a lot of volume this week and probably be successful with it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Martin has done anything with the volume that he's had either. So I'm, I'm with you. I think Barber's the guy. I think we can definitely safely cut Jaquiz Rogers at this point. If he was ever going to get back on track last week, it was it. And we saw what Barber did. So I, I think that it's either between him and Martin. And I, I think that most of us are kind of looking at that game and hoping that the Tampa Bay coaches don't screw it up and, and give the volume back to Martin after what, what we saw from Barber. Um the last thing I got from you is is a question about tight ends, and I'm kind of intrigued by a lot of guys who have kind of come into fantasy relevance over the past couple weeks. Uh, we mentioned Steven Anderson kind of starting in place of C.J. Fedorowicz, who's now on IR, David Njoku coming on in Cleveland. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones doesn't seem to want to go away in spite of, you know, the concerns that a lot of people had with his snap count. He seems like the anti-Corey Davis, right, where he's not on the field that much, but you know, when he's out there, he produces. And then Trey Burton potentially filling in for Zach Ertz uh, if, if Ertz can't go due to his concussion. 
Do you have one of these guys that you like more than others, uh, maybe in terms of DFS, or if you are one of those owners who, I'm one of these guys, I really tend to punt the tight end position more often than any other. And that leaves me looking for guys like this late in the season, you know, when I'm streaming to some extent. Do do you have a a thought uh, or two on on some of these tight end options? Yeah, you hit on a lot of key guys. I, I actually have Joku right now, and again, it's Tuesday, but I have him ranked the highest, not that I'm, you know, I'm not one of these guys who when I, I need to have an opinion based on my rankings. It's the other way around. I rank based on my opinions. But, you, you know, the thing with Seals Jones, and, and you kind of alluded to it, it doesn't bother me that he's not playing more snaps. If they're going to be so intent on using him when he's on the field, and then I don't I don't care. Let him play 30 snaps a game if he's going to get five or six targets. And it's clear that he's got some sort of rapport going with Gabbert. And I also like the fact that he was such a highly touted receiver prospect coming out of high school i like that there is kind of a latent pedigree here it didn't work out you know he wasn't drafted he didn't have a great college career and obviously he's the tight end now and and one other thing i know this might sound a little silly to say because you know the nfl is just filled with ripped um athletes who are just adonises (laughs) but ricky seals jones man that guy must sleep in the weight room he must he must do bench presses when he's sleeping because that guy is mammoth um, I, I think he's going to have a, a nice game against Tennessee this week. And uh, other than Larry Fitzgerald, he's the player I'd be most confident in scoring a touchdown. Uh, Anderson really impressed me last week because it was, again, a, a game where everything got thrown off script. And he was another guy who was a former receiver and uh, was used you know, in a lot of receiver-like packages, even though he's technically a tight end. And, you know, look, at they're just losing guys. Uh, you know, Fuller's hurt, and they put Ellington uh, – on IR, um, so this is a team that has targets to go around. Obviously, a lot of them are going to go to Hopkins, but I don't see why he wouldn't be involved this week. I think he's an interesting play. And, and Burton, remember the last time Ertz didn't play, uh, Burton had touchdown, a really athletic touchdown, too. He's a guy who could have a bright future. The problem with Philadelphia is they have so many athletic players and so many productive players, and I think Peterson is having – a little bit of that play caller vanity where he likes to spread things around in part just so you know it's his offense, but but hey, it's working. I mean, how can you argue with uh, you know, he's, he's made, I, I think Wentz is a really good player anyway, but you have to give Peterson credit for what they've done on offense. I just worry a little bit about Burton that he's the player of all these guys where I could see him playing and maybe just getting two to four targets because they have so many other guys that they can use, but it's, you, know, you can obviously how, see how athletic he is. I think it was week 10 when Ertz didn't play. I mean, you know, Burton had that, that wonderful touchdown by the left pylon. So the bottom line is that you, you hit on – that's generally the way I play tight end too. I, I very rarely have um, the Kelseys or – Kelsey actually have a fair amount of in in, uh, in MFLs, but I'm, I'm generally not a Gronk guy, uh, generally not a big-name tight end guy. I didn't have a lot of Graham this year. I didn't have a lot of Delaney Walker this year. Uh, I had some Ertz because I the price was right, but – I generally am a bargain shopper at this position. I don't think it's been the greatest year for that, but it seems like we're getting a little bit of a renaissance. Cameron Braid is back in our plans. I mean, did nothing for about a month when Fitzgerald was playing. Uh, Fitzpatrick, I'm sorry, was playing. What, what a shame, too. You know, two Harvard guys. I, I would have loved <laughs> to believe in the you know the Crimson Wave, but uh, I, I guess they they didn't go to school too. You know, maybe, maybe they didn't like Goodwill Hunting as much as I did, but um, but it seems like he's back in play with with Winston in there and. Um, Tyler Croft, you know, he's a part of the Cincinnati offense. He's been somebody who at least we, we can have reasonable expectations as for going cheap on the position. Of all the guys you mentioned up top, I like Joku the most. 
just, just I think he has the highest upside, and I think they're finally starting to use him as a primary player. And then I would I would side towards Seals Jones because I think even though he's only going to probably play half of the snaps when he's on the field, they use him as a primary player. They're going to scheme him looks in the red zone. They're going to try. They're going to say, okay, this is a touchdown, to Ricky Seals Jones. That's basically the play we have in the huddle. They're going to use him proactively, and I don't think that many tight ends we can say that about. Good stuff, Scott. Well, hey, I want to thank you very much for the time you've given us here. Um, always great to have you on. Uh, hopefully have you back on again sometime soon. Can we get uh, a little download from you on what you've been working on, what uh, people can, where people can find your work and find you on social media, all that good stuff? Uh, sure, Greg. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. Uh, feel free to follow today and then uh, unfollow when you disagree with everything I say uh, <laughs> by the end of the week. But um, I'll, I'll give you some football opinions. I'll give you some music opinions. I'll give you some life opinions. Uh, and uh, I'm always up for a conversation. And then you can find me on the uh, Yahoo Sports uh, fantasy blog, um, still branded as Roto Arcade. Uh, we, we did our rankings today if you're looking to get a jump on week 14 or maybe do some waiver moves. And then I'm going to do some strategic articles later in the week that talk about how the games change in the playoffs, how some of our strategy changes. We talked about that earlier in this podcast. I'll talk about that a little bit more specifically later in the week. And then if you actually pick the games, um, I went 4-1 last week against the spread. I think I've been over 507 out of eight uh, seasons. Some of those years have been minutely over 500, but hey, it's not easy to it's not easy to pick games against the spread. Uh, I, I do the best I can. More often than not, I win more often. Than, yeah, I win more than I lose, so I'm proud of that. Anyway, uh, you know, join me on Twitter. I'm there, you know, 16, 17 hours a day, and uh, we can talk about anything you like. Yep. And if you want to send any questions for the show uh, at Two QBs on Twitter, uh, we'll, we'll generally answer the questions in real time. But um, if something sticks out as uh, maybe a topic that deserves a little more expansion on the airwaves here we'll, we'll bring it into the show sometimes you can send us longer form inquiries at 2qbs at gmail.com uh, in both cases just spell that out t-w-o-q-b-s uh, if you wouldn't mind please rate and review the podcast that helps us out a lot and um, otherwise good luck in the fantasy playoffs hopefully we'll we'll get you to that championship and uh, we'll catch you next week adios adios